Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. I want to start with this, and she'll get it up there in a moment so you can capture it. Please hear me. This was just sort of a, a, a new little point of, of understanding. You know, I hesitate to use the word revelation, not because it's not that, but because it's used in so many arrogant contexts, you know. Um, enough of that. Here. We only fear things we believe we have no control or power over. We only fear things we believe we have no control or power over. Please think that through. You know, I I don't, like, live in fear of the common cold. I know it'll go away, and there's a chemistry in my body that will advance that. We have fear about COVID because of the implications still appear appear to be somehow just beyond the reach of medical science. We have fear when cancer, the word cancer, is mentioned because it is still beyond the scope of human power, science, and perception. We still don't understand how this um, degeneration at a cellular level uh, turns the human body against itself. You do understand that cancer, of the two or three types of cells we have, it really is reduced to this. There are those who bring life and those who take it. You see, they're, the white cells typically take away bad stuff, okay? And in the process, they're sacrificed so that the blood can remain pure. But the cells that take from the body and don't give anything back, that is the most simple definition of cancer. It's a cell that takes and takes and takes, but makes no contribution back. That has the power to kill us. And so when we mention that type of disease, it's like the first thing is fear. If, if we mention some, uh, you know, hey man, well, how's it been? Oh man, my foot's so sore. It's just killing me. I can hardly lean on it. And you tell somebody, well, what's the problem? Oh, I got a really bad ingrown toenail. Oh, dude, that hurts. And we'll comfort that person, but there's no fear involved. It's like, well, I'm so fearful I'm going to die from an ingrown toenail. <laughs> just imagine that conversation for a moment. Yeah, well, it, it could kill me. I mean, I mean, it could. Well, you know, I guess remotely it could. I mean, if it just became like massively infected and, and then you run off this whole litany of things and, and, you know, then it infected your foot and your leg and you didn't have your leg. Amp- and you invent this whole silly routine. Did you know that's how we live? Well, but see, fear doesn't strike our heart. We're fearful of things ultimately. And that starts in the Garden of Eden. Now... Last week we talked about holy. Excuse me, last week we talked about the boldness to approach the throne of grace. Father, I ask you again, give me specific directions here. I'm going to leap to something I was going to build a case for. Hebrews chapter 4. Boy. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 13 through 16. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 13 through 16. There is no creature hidden from his sight. I'm, I'm picking this up sort of mid-text. It's right after he's, uh, he, he's set, talked about the word of God being able to pierce and get to stuff that we can't get to. Uh, and and for, ultimately for purposes of healing and wholeness. There's no creature hidden from his sight. By the way, for those of you that have been here, you know the original problem of mankind. Remember the three things. God shows up in the garden... And they're afraid. Who are they afraid of? They're afraid of him. Do you you understand that? Because they didn't say we were afraid of the devil. They said we're afraid. We were afraid. And so I hid from you. The three words are deception, fear, and hiding. They become fearful once again. They become fearful because they're separated uh, from uh, a sense of understanding and believing that God am who he said he am. That has been disrupted, okay? 
And there's no creature hidden from his sight. That's so good. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. How many know that was true with Adam and Eve in the garden? And I want to remind you that the entire conversation that God had with them, he had with them while they were still hiding. They ran over, they hid, and so God says, why are you where you are? And he says, well, it was the devil, the serpent, actually, the serpent, who deceived us, and so we were deceived, and then we were afraid, and so we hid. And so God has this entire conversation with them. He doesn't show up and say, what's wrong with you? He does show up and say, why are you where you are, and who told you the stuff that made you hide there? Why? Because the he am wants to deal with the problem. You see, and you became a, you're not the problem, you became a victim of the problem, but now you're separated. This Hebrew says, you need to know that nothing's hidden. Nothing. Why is that good news? Watch me. Because God never wants us to confess so that he can gain information. We think that. I'm going to come to confession again in a moment, but okay. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Do you see that? Hold fast our confession. Now, what do you think that verse means? Because, see, when we hear it in a very religious fashion, we suppose that confession is admitting my, my most recent sin. And it certainly is that and can include that. But when he says, let us hold fast our confession here, what on earth is he talking about? He mentions it uh, four chapter, uh, uh, a couple chapters later, hold fast your confession of faith in Jesus. Hold fast your confession. What, what, what is the confession? See, confession, the word literally means, it's two, two parts. It's homo, like homogenous, the same as. Homo logeo, it means the same, to say the same thing. Why is that important? Because confession is the point at which <laughs> I step out in faith. My words are not fear-formed, but faith-informed. And I begin to say what he says. Now, you, everybody get that? Why is that important? See, when I can, and here's the example. When I confess my sin, I am saying what God is saying. I come before God. This, this definition I don't have here, but you've heard it a thousand times. And mercy, God says, uh, and you're saying, Lord, I want grace. Remember? Please listen. This is... This is going to be a far shorter message than I anticipated. Don't anybody say amen or God will strike you. you know that toenail fungus I mentioned earlier? It's coming. Um, that as I, as I come and confess, I am saying, and God, and I'm saying, Lord, I need grace. See, what grace does, grace makes our world bigger. Grace pushes back. Romans 5 says that where sin abounds, sin is squeezed, is that word pleonazo. Grace Cooper perisuo. It means overbound. It means every time sin tries to squeeze and make my world fall small through fear, failure, faithlessness, whatever it may be, it, it, it squeezes my world. God says, all you got to do is wait for grace. It comes rushing in and it begins to push back and says, no, sin will not have the final word grace does. And suddenly my, my world becomes a bigger place in the face of that. So grace is trying to make my the capacity for God's intended life as big as it can be. We, I, I, our t-shirt idea from 10 years ago, grace is making, uh, um, uh, grace is making me uh, the biggest space I can be. Grace pushes back. Grace, but watch. Grace makes me a bigger space to contain something. When we come to God and I'm living in the grip of a sin that I'm blind to or is destroying me, and we're about to read the verse in just a moment, where it says, now I, I want you to boldly approach the throne. Last week we learned that boldness is one of the key uh, opposites, antonym, antithesis of fear. So he says, I don't want you to come in fear. I want you to come with boldness. Why? Because we learn in Scripture, again, uh, that God's Word tells us we can boldly approach, we studied this last week, because of the blood of the Lamb, we now boldly approach the throne of God. Well, as we boldly approach the throne of God, He says, now boldly approach. 
and come to the throne of grace. He says that. Let's get that verse up there. Okay, it's verse 16. I'm skipping by some. But he says, therefore, draw near with confidence or boldly approach, I like King James, a throne of grace. You see that? So there's a throne of grace. I'm coming to the throne. By the way, beloved, did you know that that is the only place in Scripture where God's throne has a name? It is referred to at the end as a, as a throne, a great white throne of judgment that the don't have time to go into that. I have in the past. But as I approach this throne that was once just a throne of holy, watch this. And everyone in the Old Testament knew that holy kills. Everybody did. Said, if I see holy, there's nothing more fearful than a holy God. You see it in the life of Abraham, Gideon, Joshua, you see it every time. This first thing that happens is fear. Oh, it's going to kill me. Why? Because holy without mercy, holy without the, the blood of a, of a lamb, kills. But when that blood is given and shed, please listen to last week's teaching. The throne, the, the throne of holy that only kills becomes a throne of grace that gives life beyond what we could ever possibly imagine. Here's the problem. Well, how do I get that grace? He says, I want you to boldly approach a throne of grace and get mercy. Then I give you grace. Why? Mercy is the force of God's love refusing to join me in my, uh, in my opinion of me above his opinion of me. Our working de definition for sin Sin is the point at which I embrace any opinion of me above God's opinion of me. That's what sin is. What do you mean? The song we sang? I believe the word because when I begin to believe a word other than his word, that's when sin happens. Period. Period. So if sin is accepting another word above his word... And mercy is God refusing to join and partner and help animate. Watch, watch, watch. Why do we have to pass by mercy when we get to the throne of grace? Because grace does one thing. It instantly animates my life, pushes back, and makes it a bigger space to contain, to contain possibility. Well, when that possibility is nothing but sin, do you understand? I'm going to make a leap here. Why the first expression of mercy in Scripture was God posting angels on the east of Eden after they walked away from He Am, that if we let them get back to the tree of life, i got to say this to you over and over and over, that if we ever let them get back to the tree of life, it will sustain the current state of death therein. Do As we approach a throne of grace and say, Father, I need more power, God says you're living under a current point of sin, an opinion about yourself, who you see yourself as, and how you see yourself living. And if I empower that, I'm essentially empowering your own destruction, son. I can't do that. So the first thing you have to pass by to get grace is to take my opinion above your opinion, my word above your word. Beloved, are, are we getting that? I'm, I'm, if there's any recurring thing. But what happens when we don't? We live in fear. We live in fear. The Bible tells us in John that perfect love casts out fear. Please listen to this. I'm going to weave together a story. Perfect love casts out fear. But what do we do with the passages? The psalm that says the beginning of wisdom is fear. The prophet in Isaiah 8, this says, don't fear what they fear. If you want to fear anything, fear me. Fear what is holy. Fear me because I am holy. He's making a tongue-in-cheek statement. Why did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 10, you guys fear people who can kill your body. You need to fear him who can kill and destroy your soul. That's what worship is about? No, it's not. He's saying that in a, I don't, I, guys, I don't know a better word, in a rhetorical, I don't want to say sarcastic. He wasn't being sarcastic. He was using irony. 
and rhetoric. He says, wait, 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 wait. What are you afraid of? And so he speaks to both the disciples in Matthew 10 and Pharisees who were gathered around. Said, Let, let's, see, they all knew the context. They all knew that if he was talking about a holy God, their first orientation was fear. And he says, you know, you, you, you've, you've got fear, but let, let me reestablish one thing. It, to remind you of, of, of what you already believe. You already believe God is the most fearful. Now, he is not supporting that opinion. He's declaring their attitudes. Everybody get what I'm saying? All he's doing is telling them, I already know how you think about this. Because when we get to 1 John, he says, perfect love casts out fear. How many know that flies in the face of everything we just heard? Can I tell you this? Please hear me. That God has a redemptive remedy for, for deception, fear, and hiding. He has a plan. And let me tell you how he redeemed fear. He makes fear the delivery boy to love. I'm going to tell you, please hear me. He makes fear the delivery agent to love. Now, let me see if I can grab, grab a piece of paper. Uh, get one I'm not going to need. I don't think. This is not just a piece of paper. It's an envelope. Okay? This is going to be an envelope. It just came to the door of your house. Dan, I hope you don't need this chart. Inside this envelope is a check for $10 million. And so we go to the mailbox and we pull out this envelope and we say, oh, it's that envelope. And so we pull it out and we carefully tear it open, you know, because the contents. So we tear it open and we pull it out and there's a $10 million check and we go, man, this is so great. I got an envelope. Now, see, that's, that's stupid, right? It's stupid. And you say, Dude, that is the dumbest illustration I've ever heard because nobody will ever do it. We do it every day in our faith. We do it every day in our faith. We are fear-driven and not love-realized. God says the only possible good of fear is to make it a delivery agent to get you to the door of love because once love, you show up at the door of love, the door of love opens the envelope. Watch this. What does it say? Perfect love casts out fear. John says, there's only fear in judgment. Our appropriate response is fear delivers it. We tear open that fear envelope and we pull out. Woo! Love. Does anybody understand what I'm talking about? Let me tell you why we find ourselves in fear. And that is because Okay. I got to say this first. Hebrews 4:16. Therefore let us draw near. Everyone say draw near. I'm going to say it again. Let us Let us with confidence, boldness to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Please hear this next statement. We may be driven by mercy, but we're drawn by grace. We may be driven. What, what does that mean? What drives me to it? When God says, I can't join you in your opinion of you past this step. There's, there's, there's just no more grace here until you accept my opinion of you. Watch this. Watch this. Hebrews, excuse me, James chapter 2, verse 13 says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. But to those who are merciless, uh, judgment will be crushing, will, uh, will, will be merciless to us. Please hear me. The only thing separating me from grace is my opinion. I, can I... I don't normally do this, but I need to just... Father, Holy Spirit, make that sink in. The only thing that separates me from my next dose of grace is my opinion. Why? Mercy is God saying, 
you've accepted, I, I won't join you in your opinion above my opinion, and until you join me in my opinion above your opinion, there's no grace. So the question is, what is informing our opinion? When fear informs our opinion, we're not drawn to the throne of grace. We're pushed away from it. Now, I have to leap to this because we've encountered the notions of we tend to have still this ingrained fear of holy, and so we avoid the term and we opt for love. But beloved, please hear me. When we create a gospel of love that doesn't include holy, fear will still reign as a haunting smell or suspicion around the edges of our life. God, please help me. I am involved almost daily in the ongoing dialogue within the church of, of, the, of right now in our age, right now in our age, and in the West in particular, culture is redefining the gospel more than any other time in human history. Watch me. I do not for a moment seek to elevate us above the martyrdom of the first century Christians. But can I tell you that the aggression of the gates of hell against the church of Jesus Christ are more fearless and forceful right now in this age than ever before. Than ever before. You say, well, nobody's being burned at the stake. No, what they're doing is burning the gospel. Because a gospel that is a love, and so within the church is this thing. Well, if they identify as this or identify as that or embrace this or embrace that, we need to just love them. We do, but that's not all we need to bring to the party. You see, God is a God that is holy, and God is a God of love, equal. You can't have one without the other. We're scared of holy. We run to love because of the way it's been marginalized and made fuzzy and ultimately doesn't mean anything that the Bible says that it means. There's scripture for all of these 10 or 12 things I'm about to say. I'm going to give a run on it, and then we're just going to pray. Holy is the substance of love. But love is the function of holy. Holy is the substance of love. Love is the function. What does that mean? You see, holy involves the power of God to transform us. Well, let, let me just say this next one, then I'll come back to that. It is love that purchases our redemption. It is holy that promises our transformation. What do you mean? When 2 Corinthians 3 said it is the Holy Spirit working to transform us from glory to glory, and that's why we've studied through the years, Father, please bring this together, why we've studied through the years that the root meaning, definition of that word glory is reputation or opinion or self-opinion. Watch this. God says, I'm going to increase my glory in you. Well, what does that mean? I'm going to increase in you my opinion of me and my image of me. When it says glory grows and we stand in front of this mirror, it says you will be transformed from glory to glory into what? See, culture says, well, the Bible is really about giving you the best version of you, the best image of you. God says no. The gospel is about displacing the image of you and letting the image of me replace that and shine through you. The ultimate purpose of holy and glory, I've said this before, glory is what holy does, transformation is what glory does. Because as it begins to radiate and I stand in front of this mirror of essence, it begins, I get, God, I, 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 and I told you this story. Four or five years ago, I was in Germany. We were doing ministry to the military, and we were in not a huge city, but it was not a small town. It was one that had high, high rises and, and skyscrapers in it. And this one building had an incredibly uh, mirrored surface. It just the sun was shining and everything. It was four lanes wide. I was on one side. And I discovered while I was there that, that I, my father's German. I'm of German descent. And 
my wife laughs. She says, everybody here looks like you. People would walk up to me and speak to me, uh, English-speaking people and say, can you tell me such and such? And then German people would walk up and talk to me. And I, I, I'm not German. And the dis- look of disappointment on their face. I'm standing on the street. And I'm looking around, just watching. I just love it, walk, watching people. And I look across. Traffic's going back and forth. And I look across the street. And I promise you, I see someone that looks identical to my father. My heart sincerely starts beating fast. And, and, and I'm thinking, oh, I, I, don't mean, I don't mean close. I mean identical. And then the, car, the cars are, and I'm trying to see, and I'm, I'm trying to, to get that reflection and, and, and see because people are passing cars and it's like, please get out of my way. I need to find before that guy's gone. And it only happens in seconds. It was very fast. And then as the cars parted, there was a stoplight here and there. And so the traffic sort of stopped and I could look and stare. And I, and I was just standing there looking. You know, I didn't want to like gawk because the guy was looking my way. And as I looked, I thought, my goodness, it's my dad. And he's wearing a shirt just like mine. And now you're sitting there saying, you stupid idiot. Bro, until this moment, Pastor Tom, I thought you might be one of the smartest people I'd come across. You just convinced me of your absolute idiocy. Because what was I doing? I was looking at a reflection of me in the building across the street. But I was, my heart was pounding. And I thought, beloved, Father, can you bring me something that will just blow that away? The next time I open your word and sing a song of praise and glory comes and I look and I see whatever the image I thought of me was because see, here's the deal. Clearly, what I expected to see and what I saw were two different things. I saw something in that reflection that I didn't see in the morning when I stand in front of my own mirror. There's not a time when I stand there and think, wow, there's my dad in the mirror. Didn't have that thought. But in the context of a moment, as I came and I looked and I peered, and the joy that comes, can you imagine that joy that happens the next time you open the Word of God and you look in and you see where there's been a stronghold or a fear that's held you in its grip, and now you're breaking that grip, and you look and wait, wait, I, 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 I might be related to him. And the whisper of the Father... You are indeed my son. And every day you're being transformed into my image from opinion to opinion to opinion. Glory is the self. The impl- Please watch this. I can't get it a better way. It is the implanted self-opinion of God. Please listen. Don't stop listening to me. I'm sorry for the sentence construction or uh, the, the grammar. Please hear me. Please hear me. God says, I'm not implanting in you my highest opinion of you. I'm implanting in you my highest opinion of me. It's carried on the genes. And as we stand before it, we watch this transformation. Beloved, transformation is the next moment of departure from sin that has gripped you or defined you. And that next chain breaks transformation. The image is becoming clear. Let me finish this. It is love that purchases your redemption. It is holy that promises your transformation. It, is this, it was love, the love of God that brought him to the cross, but it was the holy of God that brought him out of the grave. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. It is the holy of God that brought him out of the grave. Read that. Watch that. Love delivers me from the... I'm sorry, I'll leave it there for a second. Everybody get that last one? Okay, I'm going I'm to slow down. Oh, I wish we were sitting in my living room right now so we could talk. Love delivers me from the bondage of sin. Holy delivers me to the promised freedom of God. Love delivers me from the bondage of sin, but holy delivers me to the full expression of truth and freedom, John 8, 32. Love destroys an identity rooted in what I've been. Holy endlessly transforms me 
into what I will yet be. This isn't included, what I'm about to say. Condem That's why Paul writes that condemnation is rooted in my past, failure, flesh, and sin. But conviction is rooted in future, promise, potential, and the Spirit. That's solid Bible. I, if you want that teaching, email me, Tom at New Hope Online. Tom at New Hope Online. Email it. Text it through one of these text strings here, whatever. And I'll, and I'll give you the link to that and the outline for it. Let's keep going. Love, uh, yeah, okay. Love triumphs over condemnation, but only holy transforms through conviction. Love triumphs over condemnation. Love sets me, these are all things I've been just writing to myself. Love sets me free but wholly informs me of what I will be. You see, the children of Israel in the Old Testament, they were set free from Egypt, but they spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness because they saw themselves more as slaves of bondage than possessors of promise. You see, your, your, your possession of promise is entirely dependent on you and me, not him. He says it's there when you're ready to embrace it, but as long as you believe in Another word, another opinion above my opinion, to the degree that you do that, you will be short of the promise and purpose that God has declared for you. Sin conforms, please get this one. Everyone just read that one. This, by the way, this is Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Everybody say Romans 12, 1 and 2. Now would you read that together off the screen? Sin That's not just a clever set of words. Romans chapter 12 says, I urge you, brethren, by the mercy. What? There's that word. Mercy of God. To present your, your, your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. Everybody say holy. holy. Holy and acceptable unto God. Don't be conformed to this world by the force of sin, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Can I say this? Leave that up there. Don't, don't hit it. Whatever informs me will conform me or transform me. I want to say it again. Whatever informs me will conform me to the world or transform me by the Spirit. What are you listening to? What's informing you? See, you're not going to... Let me go ahead and be the preacher I grew up listening to that I didn't want to listen to until I realized those words of wisdom. You see, when I grew up, <clears throat> goodness, I don't want to say that. The students in this place are going to think, bro, you really are a dinosaur. I remember having a black and white TV. I wonder if anybody else remembers this, that you got, no, no I'm not done, that you got this, it was like a plastic thing that had color. And you could put it, you know what you really did? You could put it over the black and white TV and it gave this image of color. It was whacked. But it was like, wow. See, I know people sitting here saying, that stuff really happened? Yeah, Google it. Crazy, you know. And, and, and we're, we're, we're watching uh, this, this, this TV and it's an incredible thing. And I forgot why I mentioned that. Um, I'm sure it has a purpose for that. Why was I talking about that? About what? Oh, the preachers I heard grown. That's it. Thank you. I knew that. I was testing you. Sweetheart, I'm so glad you were listening to this sermon because you need it and you need to be tracking. The preachers growing up, and we watch TV, and that TV's evil. And don't go out dancing because dancing's evil. You see, and which leads me to this, I, I think is on this page. Um, <clears throat> it's worth waiting for. This brings me to something that I hadn't intended to say, but it's, on, it's here. I, I, I got to tell you, the danger is I went back there and as I was, um, give me a minute. Matt, I know it's here because I let you read it on the back of the stage. Maybe you can come find it for me. The, uh, it's worth waiting for. Wait, 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 wait. I promise you. And I, cause I need to say it just the way it's on this page. What? Oh, no, it's not there. I hope it's not there. 
God resurrect that. Hey, I told you you're in my living room this morning. I, I, I just, ah, oh, world, life, whatever. Mm. I got to find this. The statement is this. It's that one. Man, I love you. Turn to somebody and say, no, turn to somebody and say, I'm glad somebody's being led by the Spirit. <laughs> oh, you see, I've said this to you guys a thousand times. We've been together too long. I don't have any new jokes. I said, I love it when the Holy Spirit brings a scripture to mind and he forgets where it is. That's a joke. Okay. Love without holy is a spiritual placebo. You know what a placebo is? If you entered into a, like a medical trial, um, they'll, they'll have some group that are given like the sugar pill or something. It's nothing. It's just nothing. And nothing is supposed to happen. It's a placebo. It's just, here, take the pill. And you can feel to be better. Actually, it won't make you, but you can imagine you'll feel better. Even though it will do nothing to correct that. Love without holy is a spiritual placebo. Holy without love is a crushing legalism. You see, I grew up under... And, and here's, here's the problem, is that love, uh, 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 holy, as I said, holy without love is a spiritual procedure, but watch this, love without holy <clears throat> leaves my understanding of, <clears throat> let me just say it this way, and I'll unpack it. Legalism is when I estimate or assess who I am based on my distance from sin rather than my proximity to God. That is what holy without love does. It reduces it to a list of things that I must do, but I don't even understand why I'm doing them. Love without holy presents a hope that can't be a hope because it is redemption without transformation. Love without holy says that Jesus died on the cross to help you, but it's that gospel is powerless to do anything to deliver you, transform you, or move you to the next place. Now, why am I saying all of that? Because I'm praying for a baptism, a deliverance from fear. Well, I'm not afraid. We're living in it. Fear is pressing and crushing. We hang on the TV. What's happening there? Gas prices, food prices. Check this out. Brenda went to Sam's yesterday. I said, hey, baby, what, would you pick up some bacon? I, we're out of bacon. I haven't had any bacon in a while. And, and uh, man, that just sounds real good to me. I said, you know, if it doesn't cost $300. And um, so she calls me back and says, uh, I, I got bacon. I said, great. I said, just curious, how much was it? She said, $27.33. And I know you're thinking, how much bacon did you buy? The two-pack from Sam's. That's it. And you go, oh. she said, well, what did you do? I said, put that back. I said, I will do without fried pig on the basis of principle. I will make myself suffer, suffer for the cause of my own personal conviction. Love without holy is a spiritual placebo. Holy without love is crushing, crushing legalism. I, I live with the deepest disruption for two things. A faith community that still lives somehow in the grip or under the influence of fear, God wants to deliver us from that because he says love perfected will progressively cast out and push out fear. But on the other side is an equal threat that we have a fearless love. And God reminds us, but here's how he handles it. He, would, he says this, everyone, and I'm saying this tongue-in-cheek, you all understand that the idea of God is that holy should be feared. He said, let's go with what you're saying. By the way, do you want me to show you this, this form? There's in Luke, oh, 18 or 19, is the story of three stewards. And one is given 10 talents, one's given five amounts of money or, or uh, currency, and one won. 
the ten doubled his, the five doubled his, and the one said, and the Lord said, what did you do with it? And he said, I, I buried it. And he says, well, why, why did you bury that? And he said, because I knew you were an exacting Lord, vengeful, taking up where you didn't sow. Jesus, in telling the story, says, and the Lord responds, well, if you knew that to be true. You see, he's not admitting that's the truth. He says, by your own words, I will judge you. That's what's going on in this assessment when he says, you're the guys who believe that it's God who has the capacity to destroy, destroy your soul. And here's where I want to land from last week. It's Jesus essentially standing up and saying, if there's anything that should be feared, it should be me by your own estimation. It should be God. That's what your fear should be. I want you to hear the words of Jesus the next time you're afraid, today, tomorrow, or this week. You're fearful of about an outcome. I want you to hear God the Holy standing up and saying, if you should fear anything, you should fear me. But the good news is perfect love has cast out fear. The good news is you don't have to fear me. And so, Tom, if you're not afraid of me, why on earth would you fear anything else? Please let that sink in. Please let that sink in. We do not fear the power of the adversary to maintain a stronghold in my life. He doesn't have that capacity. Every time we do water baptism, we pray for deliverance of the echoes of the things that are chasing me because we live in fear. I am praying, Father, for a baptism of holy and love that banishes fear. I'm praying for a baptism of holy and love, Father, where we may be driven by mercy, hallelujah, but we're drawn by grace, where we won't stand back, Father, that if, by the way, do you know what judgment is? You know, that's why I need like a thousand hours at one setting. <laughs> judgment is the point at which God allows us to walk in our opinion of me my opinion of me, above his opinion of me. That's all that it is. And it will be true at the end of the day for at the age of a final judgment when they stand before the Lamb who is not, now not seated on the mercy seat, but the Lamb gets up off the mercy seat, sits on the great white throne, and humanity that hasn't accepted him because they've maintained their opinion, they don't need a redeemer, and they have to look into the face of the one who did shed his blood, and he said, you had a different opinion, I'm allowing you now an eternity free from my opinion and embracing yours. Do you understand that in Matthew 18, when, they didn't, when the guy didn't forgive at the end of the story, the great Lord says, you should have extended mercy the way I extended mercy. But you went on your opinion of the situation above my opinion of the situation, and your opinion was that I won't forgive. I'm going to put them in jail and let them be tormented. So by your words, I will judge you. Now you go to jail. Do you understand that judgment is simply the point at which God allows us to walk in our opinion above his. I'm going to preach this over and over and over until I die. And I want to say to you, what separates you from grace is your opinion. What separates you from that next dimension of God expanding is your opinion. It's your opinion, not God's. God has a higher opinion. And so I pray. May the church be delivered from a fear of holy that separates us from your opinion, Father. And may the world be separated, be delivered from a fear that exempts holy from the power of love. I am so distracted, I, I admit that. I've never been on the pinnacle at the point of confronting things I'm writing, speaking to, and addressing in certain circles. I live in the grip of this daily. I watch it on the TV. I hear it on the news. I watch how culture is coming in. This isn't the place to say it, but I've got to give you the snapshot. Right now, there's not a day that I don't deal with in the circles that I'm with, with standing against a theological push 
that is now declaring, and please hear why this is significant, that is declaring certain grammatical phrases demand that we identify God in the feminine. The, 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 the original languages in the Old Testament addressing the Holy Spirit, it is a femi- feminine grammatical tense. But then the le- but I'm t- scholars are doing this. I'm amazed. Saying because of that, we now have, and, and you're going to think I'm being sarcastic, and I'm not. It's tragic. But we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Sister. And we do not, beloved. And here's why. You say, well, what's, what's going on there? Because I'm just going to give you a snapshot, and this will no doubt be excerpted or taken. I don't know. But in order to create a gospel that provides human worth and identity to be found in transgenderism, or and I'm not saying this smugly, condescendingly, I am not a gay hater, gay basher, but we're watching daily, daily humanity be disrupted at levels when we're doing silly things like a person that's born a man can now compete against women. The whole thing is so convoluted. I don't mean just in the sense of boys and knowing who boys and girls are. I mean in the sense of they're, they're trying to do things to redeem mankind and destroying it on the other side. And that will always happen when mankind pursues redemption without a redeemer. you got to have the redeemer. And so the natural human thought will be, in order for me to create a gospel that reflects the nature of God and the gospel that makes a provision for a transgender identity, it is needful that I have a transgender God. And hear me clearly. Although the God we know defies the human limitation of gender and sexuality, does everyone understand that God the Father, that language does not necessitate the literal construct, and please, of a God that has male genitalia. I've asked that question a thousand times, and I don't know what age. Well, so I'll be careful with the phrase that I use to get people's attention on it. But we live in the craziness where holy and love are being parsed and separated. And when we do that, there's always a dangerous outcome and destination, whether it's inside the church or outside the church. I can't speak to outside the church. You won't hear me stand and say what I heard when I was growing up too often. There's sinners in the world, and there are rampant sinners, and they sin. They do sin. They think sin. They act sin. They do all this stuff that's sin, sin, sin. They're bad. They're evil. And all it was was sermon after sermon telling me that, that fish live in water and water is wet. There's no revelation there. You don't hear that at New Hope. Sorry for the length again today. You hear Paul's instruction when he says, what do I have to say to the world? The world has its culture. I'm not battling the world. I have something to say to the church. I'm not worried about doing debate with the philosophy of culture. I'm worried about dealing with the encroaching, watch, opinion of the world that's squeezing out the word of God. We already know what happens. When that happens, fear ensues, separation ensues, and we never know the God the way he's intended for us to know him and for him to be that to us. I'm going to stop. End of class. Stand up, please. You know, I need you to pray for me. And in 40 plus years of ministry. Uh, I don't walk up and ask for that, not because I don't want your prayers. It's very, very often, you know, something that just comes off as drama. I really need you to pray for me because I'm coming to believe, and please hear this in somewhat of a prophetic sense, God has called me to be a voice to things um, that I don't wake up in the morning saying, oh, joy, I get to go do that. I believe he's calling New Hope to be a voice of redemption to things 
that jumps face first into the complexity of life and doesn't walk away with simple cliches. Listen to me that are uninformed about the devastating complexity of sin. That won't happen here. I I despise those cliche reductions to the complexity of life. God knows our feeling, our weaknesses, our pains, and he enters that. And so you'll never see anything here that comes off as being condescending or smug or whatever. That has never come from my lips, nor will it ever. But there's almost a fear of addressing these things forthrightly because of the cancel culture we have. Because everything streamed out of this building can be excerpted and grabbed, and I live under that reality, and reframed and then put out there, watch this stupid preacher who says this, who doesn't have any idea about the understanding of human design or DNA or whatever. Beloved, none of that's true. But we are going to be in a fight until the end of the age to preserve the union of love and holy and not to parse them or separate them. We have a God of holy who met us in love and transforms us by holy. You can live that. I can live that. And the greatest testimony will be is how we live, not what we say. Father, would you do this with me now? Lift up holy hands. Imprint these words on our heart. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. May the words of my mouth be ac- and, my, and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. Keep your hand up. I'm still praying. Open your eyes. Please watch this. Father, may the words declared here today become the rock of sure footing that you would speak of and say, I've, I've built, your, my word is a rock on which you can place your feet and get sure footing. Beloved, please hear me. I'm still praying. Father, we cannot see the possibilities of redemption. Do you understand what redemption is? It's not only what he's done, but it's the ongoing act of God bringing out the full worth and value that he's done in you. It didn't happen one moment at when you prayed a prayer of salvation. It started. Now that redemption's going on. But guess what? Until I stand on the rock of his word, I can't see the possibilities of redemption. And so I ask one more time, Father... The thousands of times I've prayed it before I preach, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight to the extent that a God who is a rock shows up and gives me a sure place to stand. I can walk from these doors into my life, job, marriage, as a parent, as a student, as a child, with the full confidence that I have found the sure footing of the Word of God, and I've found an opinion I can stand on. And because I can stand on that, I can now look forward to what will yet be redeemed and brought out of me. May that happen in this place every week. I ask that in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So be it. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.